0: All right, welcome to Political as Heck, a podcast where we discuss Utah politics and policy. I'm Corey Astle, joined as usual by Utah State Senator Todd Weiler. But again, we have some great guests from the Utah State Legislature to discuss with us all the happenings during the, uh, I guess this would be the third week of the legislative session. Well, we just
1: finished week three. Yeah, In
0: fact, we'll hit the halfway point Wednesday at noon. Wow, it's cruising. Yeah, it is. So we want to welcome Representative Carol Spackman-Moss. Welcome, Carol.
2: Thank you very much. Happy to be here.
0: Wonderful. And we want to also welcome representative Susan Pulsiver. Welcome, Susan.
3: Welcome. I'm excited. I'm excited to talk with you about the things that have happened this week.
0: So are we. So are we. It's going to be fun and cool. And I think uh, a lot of cool things. So thank you both for joining us today. Before we get started, can we uh, ask you to tell us a little bit little bit about yourselves what what district do you represent how'd you get your start in politics I know uh representative Spackman Moss you've been around a little while
2: well yes I have I've been around quite a few years Uh, my professional background is teaching I taught high school English Olympus High School 33 years and um, teaching was what um, prompted me to run for the legislature I thought I could focus on public education and maybe represent our district better um, than maybe some other people that didn't have, weren't as invested in it. And I represent Holiday and Murray, about equal, half and half, Holiday and Murray. And I've been doing it for quite a few years.
0: Gotcha. Very nice. Uh, Representative Pulsifer, can you tell us a little about yourself and what's your day job and what district do you represent?
3: Yeah, yeah, I'd love to. You know, interestingly, I have an education background, but I kind of think of myself as a non educator educator. So I have a degree in that two degrees in education, actually, but I've never um, worked in a classroom except for a year and a half as a part time teacher aide. But mm-hmm. I've spent a lot of time as a parent. In fact, when my kids were young, I was the person who was kind of connected into the the district and the school and so on. And and I found a lot of my friends, a lot of parents called me and said, I've got this situation. What do I do? And I'd say, well, you need to call this person. And I just just kind of been in connected with education. And so um, a few years ago, I ran for Jordan School Board and I served in Jordan School Board. I guess that's the place you go when you're used to being the one everyone calls. <laughs> so I, I served in Jordan School Board for six years and had a great experience there and then came up here and I'm working in, uh, as a member of the House, and I represent currently District 50, which is South Jordan, a little bit of uh, West Jordan, and a little bit of Riverton, so that's my current boundary.
0: Gotcha. Very nice. Very nice. All right, two educators. So when we talk uh, in a little bit, we're going to talk a little bit about vouchers, and I can't wait to hear what you guys think about it, but and, uh, we want to give you the chance to share what you're working on and what uh, bills you're running, because I'm sure there's some interesting stuff. But let's start with a couple of things here, and I'll, I'll put uh, Todd on the on the spot first. So the Senate voted Friday to approve SB 59, which would reduce Utah's income tax rate from 4.95% to 4.85% at a cost of $160 million. So Todd, can you give us the backstory and how'd you vote and what do you think about the tax cut?
1: Yeah, the legislature basically approved a similar um, almost $200 million tax cut about two years ago. But that was combined with the sales tax on food restoration, and so that kind of um, detracted from the message. And so, this is from, from my standpoint. We we had already decided we wanted to cut the income tax, and um, there's a lot of we believe that there there this will continue to attract new jobs, high quality paying jobs, and investment capital to the state, and also give families a little bit of a break. It's not a huge break if you divide 160 million. You know um by all of the families uh, in the state, all the taxpayers in the state, it's you know it's it's uh yeah it's not a ton of money, but I think every little bit helps, especially with gas prices and everything else increasing. you know, we had seven percent inflation last year, and so I, I think it's some much needed relief, but but my emphasis is on we want to continue to attract um, investment capital to the state
0: of Utah. Yeah, that makes sense. Carol, I, I imagine you might feel a little differently. What do you think?
2: Uh, so far, the consti- my constituents that have written to me about that are saying, "We don't need a tax cut. Maybe my district's different than others. We don't need a tax cut. We we've done well. The economy's doing great. Businesses are coming here. We don't need to cut taxes in order to attract them. They're they're coming here in large numbers, and." They suggest that we spend the money on public education, human services. We have a lot of needs. Um, I'm really going to wait and hear wait to hear from more of my constituents to see how they feel about it. But it's such a small amount that would benefit each family. If if there's some changes made, Todd, where it benefits the lower income more, I'd be more inclined to support it. Um, One of the things I would like to see is the sales tax on food come off. You know, one of my colleagues, Representative Rosemary Lesser, has a bill to do that. And I think that's really a smart tax cut because it's immediate. It's something that affects everybody has to buy groceries. It'll particularly help those with lower income and more children. So I think the governor's uh, plan to... um, what does he call it? A credit? I, I can't think of the title of the term. But you know, you'd have to file. You'd have a to a grocery file
1: tax credit. File, yeah, right. tax credit file
2: papers. That doesn't happen for hardworking people and families that work two jobs and have a lot of kids. They probably don't even know where to start. So those would be the the conditions that I'd um, be more favorable toward a tax cut if I could see those two things.
1: Yeah, and Corey, if I could just jump in for a very um, uh, brief rebuttal there. Um, you know, I I, I I don't know how you know um, these these the, the poor are are dealing with the increases uh, in inflation that Joe Biden's brought upon the country. And so to say that a small tax cut wouldn't help them, I, I think is misguided. Uh, but but more importantly, um, you know we we offered a, a, an earned income tax credit uh, which does target the poor. Uh, in the past, and I think there, there's a proposal for that again this year, which I support. But but lastly, if you're going to do a, an income tax cut, you can only do an income tax cut for people who pay state income taxes. And uh, the reality is because the way our tax code is set up, um, the, the working poor do not pay any state income tax cuts. So if you're paying zero, you can't cut below zero other than an earned income tax cut.
2: I do like earned credit. income tax credit. I do like that.
0: Yeah, and so um, Susan, I wanted to give you a chance to weigh in. And also, it, it does seem like uh, at least Representative Winner's, Winder, I'm sorry, is thinking about an EITC or maybe a Social Security income tax cut as well. I don't know if you want to weigh in on any of those or let us know. Oh, your yeah,
3: feelings. Absolutely. So my constituents have uh, constantly been looking towards Social Security reduction. And we did one last year, but you know, the, being able to just increase that for more, so it would be, benefit more people would really help. And so I think as we look at the tax cuts, we need to be maybe looking broad broadly and and do a couple things for other people, like the earned income tax credit. I think it makes a lot of sense. Um, we've you know definitely the income tax uh, reduction. I think is is uh, really important, but I'd really like to see a Social Security um, reduction, too, because, you know, our senior citizens have already paid taxes on that money. And we're just one of the very few states that continues to tax Social Security. So I'd really like to see
2: (laughs) (laughs) one of those seniors. But it probably wouldn't affect me, but it would help many people with their social on Social Security. So that's another thing I'm in favor of. So, Todd, overall, I need to look at the pieces, you know, of, uh, and look at it in, in, in its entirety.
1: And just to be clear, last year, and I've been calling for this for five years, last year we did cut in Social Security income tax for the poorest. Uh, amongst us and so we've kind of already checked that box and so if we go further which I support it'll probably be more for the middle class
3: yeah and and that's true and so anyway it's going to be interesting to see where we end but I think there's some really good ideas and definitely support an across the board cut as well good
0: good stuff all right let's switch gears a little bit so Senator Kirk Cullimore is set to introduce a bill that would create $36 million school voucher program. He calls it the Hope Scholarship Program. Uh, I'm going to ask you all if you've had a chance to, to review the legislation. Are you receiving calls from constituents? What are, you, what are your thoughts about it? Carol, can we go to you first since you're a resident educator?
2: Yes, 33 years in the classroom. Um, well, I can't remember the year, but I was there when the voucher bill passed by about three or four votes. 2007. 2007, and within weeks, I mean weeks, we had enough signatures to, uh, was it recall or repeal? I don't recall the the exact terminology, but this is something that I don't think uh, Utah parents really need. Uh, we have amazing school choice. I love the fact we have open enrollment. Kids in my neighborhood go to different schools. My daughter teaches at Skyline. Kids come from all over the valley, similar to other schools, to programs that fit their needs. We have public charter schools and we do have some very good private schools, but either people, they're very expensive, many of them. Some kids go on scholarship, but I think that's a choice that people make. Um, My grandkids in California went all through private school. They're now in college at the U, but in Southern California, and their parents really sacrificed to send them there, but they weren't resentful of not having tax dollars. I just think that we've always been underfunded and we should not be dividing this money. By the way, I, I wondered at first, before I heard about the bill, why the principals of the Catholic schools were all calling me. <laughs> asking to meet with me and yeah. i really love those schools and i visit some of them ones in my district but i don't think that's appropriate for utah it really isn't we don't we don't fund our public schools enough anyway so that's my take on it
1: yeah and so, you know um carol brings up some good points representative speck and moss brings up some good points and i remember we had a voucher debate in 2012 or 2013 and i was saying look at it, it was just five or six years ago that the people voted on this And I think it's too soon. But Corey, I don't know when the expiration date is on a citizen's referendum, because that referendum passed overturning the voucher bill by about 58%. And it was led by my friend, Kim Burningham. And I attended his funeral two or three years ago, uh, maybe three or four years ago. And all I'm saying is 15 years is a long time. So if this, if this voucher referendum had been uh, the vote have been in 77. I don't think anybody would be arguing it's still binding or 87, no, probably 97, no. So I don't know exactly the expiration date on a referendum vote. Uh, I know we weren't there 10 years ago. I think we're probably closer to there now uh, because people change, the voters change, people move in and out, people die as I as I referenced. And so I'm not sure exactly wh- if the time is right. I haven't seen the language of the bill. I have heard a presentation from Kirk Cullimore and, you know, there's a lot of parents who, because of COVID, they got a, uh, they got a really good glimpse into their kids' classroom because they, they were sitting at the kitchen table on Zoom or, or whatever. And not everyone liked what they saw. And so there are more parents that want to pursue options. But, ta- you know, I'm, I'm going to argue both sides here. Talking about options, you know, we have over 100 charter schools, we have district schools, we have online schools, we have private schools for those people who can afford it. And we have homeschooling and homeschooling co-ops. And so, I do think that there are a lot of options there. And I mentioned to you before we went on the air, if this is the air, Corey, that, you know, Howard Stevenson mentioned to me a year or two ago, he was the, one of the main proponents behind starting charter schools. And he said that he thought it was somewhat of a failed experiment because he want. I mean, some charter schools are really good. Some are not, some are, a lot of them are just okay, but the metrics from the charter schools that we're getting, we've got about 65,000 Utah students in charter schools are about the same as district schools. And I think the really hope and expectation was was that these would be little laboratories of experimentation and innovation, and we'd come up with some great new teaching um, uh, techniques. And so I understand if a parent's paying their, their state taxes and then they're turning around and paying that tuition to go to the Catholic school or whatever, I can understand saying, hey, this isn't fair, I'm paying twice. But what about the parents who didn't have any kids? What about, the, uh, what about the adults who never married? What about the senior citizens who are paying income taxes and their kids graduated from high school 30 or 40 years ago? We don't give them a rebate. And so there really are some decent arguments in favor of backpack funding. This is gonna be called the HOPE Scholarship. And there's some arguments against it. The last thing I'll say is, if you took one kid out of every classroom in the state it doesn't save us any money because we don't get to lay off any teachers we don't get to close any schools we don't get to lay off any principals i mean that, that's the problem if you cherry pick one or one or even two kids out of every classroom you might slightly decrease the burden i mean if you go from 33 kids to 31 kids or 31 kids to 29 kids there's a there's a there's a less of an impact on the there's a small relief of the burden on the teacher but it, there's no that doesn't translate into, into any savings for the school district
2: Todd, thanks for making some good points. I'll use them going forward. Can yeah. I just say one thing before I forget it? The one issue about private schools is they don't have to abide by all the same laws that our public schools do.
1: Thank goodness.
2: That, that well, okay, <laughs> not always. It isn't always good. Uh, for example, you wouldn't like the fact that if they could do mask mandates, they require every kid to be immunized totally, completely. You know, I've talked to them, but but that aside, I'm just saying, if you get tax dollars, you should have to follow the same laws that public schools do and the same kind of policies that pu- public schools have, and private schools probably don't all want to do that. I'm hey, not Carol. Sure I'm fine with private
1: that. mask mandates. My law firm has one, and I abide by it. I go to Harmons. I put on my mask. My issue is a government uh, a government mandated mandate. Okay. So that's repetitive. Sorry.
3: Representative Pulsifer, I want to give you the yes. chance to. Okay. <laughs> I would love to you know, this is something that I've thought about uh, quite a bit since I have heard about it the last few weeks and no I haven't actually seen the legislation yet either so it'll be interesting to dig dig into it and I plan to do that this week, but I I agree with a lot of what Senator Weiler said, I, I think there's something to this I think it might be an idea whose time has come, but I think how we do it will make all the difference. And I think um, I. I don't necessarily see it being used for private schools as much as I do homeschools. I really am seeing a rise yeah. in families that are selecting homeschool, which is great, a great option and and that would just give them a little bit of help to be able to make that work for their family. So I wonder if things have changed enough that it's, you know, it's time might be there. But but some of the issues that you've brought up are real issues. we we need to maybe even back off on some of the accountability measures we have or make make them make more sense for public schools. You know, if we're giving the money without some of those measures to to other areas, I just think there's some issues that we need to look at to make sure it works the way we really want it to, and it doesn't have unintended consequences. And that's my concern is, is thinking about this maybe a little deeper and a little longer so that we can make sure it works
0: yep good point and then and that's a good point about uh, the homeschooling too why don't we stay with you and is there, are there any bills that you're running that you'd like to one or two that you want to make a pitch for and for those listeners out there learn a little bit more about what you're working on
3: yeah, you know, the thing that I put in most of my time on this year, and it's been pretty exciting, is, is a child care bill. And we know that in the state of Utah, really across the nation, but in the state of Utah, we really don't have enough child care um, options for families who want them and need them. And I've said this in a lot of places, but when I talk to parents, the word I hear the most is desperate. And I think desperate is a terrible place to be when you're looking yeah. at childcare. You want to have something that is just as exciting and you feel good leaving your child there when you, you know, every morning and pick them up every night. Not that you leave them and then say, oh no, what have I done? We want to have good options for parents. And I think that's really important. So I was able through the summer to meet with a lot of the childcare industry and, and the business industry. And I thought it was so interesting that the business industry um is really is starting to understand what the situation is is, and that businesses can offer childcare. Um, and that is really a big benefit for their employees. And we know that a lot of the larger businesses are starting to do this, and they can do it because they have the space in their facility, you know, and then they can hire a, a licensed child care provider to run it, and it's working so well because parents come bring their child and they're just down the hall, they can eat lunch with them. It's a great option. So this bill is is looking at things we can do for small businesses, ways that we can help um, small businesses who want to do it also. It's interesting, I've heard municipalities, schools, small businesses says, we wanna do this. So um, it it, it offers some, um, for instance, startup costs. That uh, some grants they could get to help because, you know, it take, costs some money to get all the licensing and put everything in place and get the facilities. And it also is um, saying that that one of the acceptable uses for tax increment financing for um, when they, besides building roads and sewer and all of that would be childcare facilities. That might help to create a facility and then they could hire a childcare person and get a grant and maybe get something started and and a, you know and a neighborhood and area could then um, let their employees have that option, too. Mm-hmm. So that's exciting. It's also looking at some things we can do for the um, um, residential providers, licensed res- residential providers. We were able to um, fix some ambiguities in the law to help them so they could more easily get licensed. And also, we've got some grants for them to start up. And then we've also looked at rural Utah, who also has a big problem with child care. And they don't have access to centers and businesses and so on. So what we've done there is we were able to take the, um, the unlicensed child care providers. They can currently have four non-relative children. And then currently, the way it is, they can have an unlimited number of relative children that are related to them, and which in some cases I'm being told there's like 20 and 25, which is too many. So what we did is we increased from four to six, the number uh, in an uh, unregulated childcare, but then we put a cap of 10 total. That way, you know, they could have some also some relative children in there, but not more than 10 and and licensed childcare can go from eight to 12. So we think this is actually all these different measures and there's others too, but all these different measures are a good way to help incentivize and increase the capacity. So anyway, I'm super excited because that is a true need. And I think that we can do something to help that need. Yeah. Good stuff.
0: All right. Good stuff. Thank you. (music) Carol, I want to kick it to you. What, What are you working on?
2: Well, first, I'd like to say to Representative Pulsifer, she's done a wonderful job. She has worked so hard on this. I've heard this in the education committee, and she worked with stakeholders, and she reworked it, so kudos to her. Um, I have a bill that's coming up tomorrow, um, and it's just interesting. It's not a big bill, but I think it's of interest. Uh, As you know, we have a, a well, maybe you don't know the number, we have about 550 Afghan refugees coming here and some have already started arriving. Um, and the Office of Refugee Services thought that they'd be eligible for to get a driver's license using the same policy that I passed, a bill I passed in 2018 with Senator Bramble where uh, refugees and asylees can have, um, have a, a translator, Uh, and take it in the written part in their their native language, and they all know how to drive. Most of them have driven for many years, and we thought they'd fit into that category, but we found out the Department of uh, Driver License Division said, no, they have a different designation. They're called Covered Humanitarian Parolees. Now, you know what we think a parolee is. (laughs) This is a federal designation that means because they're fast-tracked, they need to fast-track them, they got out of there in a hurry. They are essentially being a parolee is they're, you know, not officially a refugee or an asylee yet. So I just have to put those three words covered has to do with real ID. So they'll fit into that same category. And in the committee meeting last week, um, they had an, uh, a refugee who's been here just a short time, and they had a uh, an interpreter with him, and he said, we're so grateful to be here and all the, all the help we're getting from this community, but it's so important that we are able to drive, because without it, we, we can't get a job, we can't get to a job, we can't get our kids to school, and many of them can work night shifts and, and warehouses and, and industrial areas where there is not um transportation public transportation so this will be a big boon for them and that other bill helped so many refugees who kept failing that written part over and over again yet they're very good drivers they know the laws so i'm i'm really happy to be able to do that and then another bill that's is, great but well, oh, we're running quick. out of time which
0: no no i want to ask you which side of the road do they drive on in afghanistan do you know <laughs>
2: know that i've been to a <laughs> lot of countries in- <laughs> and uh most not that, that
0: that's not a disqualifier No, you know, we, we, i know we,
2: but we, i that is a good question but you know most of the countries i've been to in africa and in the middle east they drive on the same side that we do
1: yeah i don't know the answer to that either i just want to give an update as of last month we already had 745 afghan refugees in utah oh, wow. And, wow, and there are more headed our way
2: wow so. Well, we're a great welcoming community and state, and I just can't say enough for the work that um, that a lot of people do. Catholic uh, Catholic charities, LDS humanitarian services, refugee services, Department of Workforce service. I could go on, but it, it's really remarkable. It's been a- the
1: the big struggle has been with our housing crisis. It's not like we have all these apartment units just right. set aside for refugees, and so over two 200- hundred. Of those 745 are in temporary housing, which probably means like motel sixes and things. Mm-hmm. And I know the federal government said, well, why don't you just put them in some warehouses? And Governor Cox's administration said, no, we're not <laughs> going to do that. So, yeah.
2: See, it was actually the governor's office that called um, refugee services and then got back to me and said, um, we've got to add these three words. But I think it's so interesting because I'd never heard that term, but that is um
3: something.
1: You you learn a lot running bills, Carol, don't you? Yes, you do. That's what I like about this job.
2: That's why I've stayed here so long. It's endlessly interesting.
0: Well, and you're good at it. so. Well, thank you. So uh, in the last two minutes, Todd, do you want to share anything about your 88,000 bills? (laughs) You know, um, I I do have a lot of bills this year. Um,
1: It's a little embarrassing, but a lot of people come to me uh, because I'm chairman of the Judiciary Committee. and, And one of those is the courts, uh, the, the the courts, the judicial branch comes to me now. Now that especially now that Senator Hilliard's gone, so I'm running a bill for the courts that would add two state court judges in some of our rural, rural areas where the the judges are overwhelmed. The court system is backlogged, and um, you know we probably could use six or eight new judges, but they, they cost a lot of money because these darn judges expect to be paid and they expect to have court clerks and things like that. And, uh, one, one of our, uh, one of the big priorities for the judicial branch this year is to get more money to pay their clerks because like everyone else, their clerks are leaving them because they can make more money at the gap or at old Navy. <laughs> so, right. so, and, and deal with a lot less stress. And so, um, I do like tackling the legal issues. I am a lawyer. And, um, so a lot of those issues kind of gravitate my way.
2: Todd, I'm on that appropriations committee and, it's all about compensation, 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 yeah. and not, and what you're saying, those judicial assistants, I mean, they keep the courts running. They
1: do. They do. Just like and our, they, just like our staff at the legislature, I know. We would, Imagine we them would, would come to a grinding halt without them. And I'll tell you, I'm on social services and we heard a report in, from human resources that some of the jobs, the state employees are, are 40% under the market rate. We're not going to keep any of them wow. if we're not careful
2: you know we're short? 187 correctional officers at the Draper wow. prison.
1: That's amazing. They're working
2: some of them 60 to 80 hours of overtime. It's wow. just, it's just unsustainable. And so yeah. they're looking at it. We're looking at, it. but that that's been my priority through that whole uh approach that appropriations committee has been uh compensation i'm sure it's true in other areas as well absolutely yes. well thanks
1: Corey. we got week four coming up and uh more excitement and more surprises i'm sure <laughs> Good Next stuff. week
2: is water 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 oh yeah <laughs> we gotta
1: save the great salt lake this year
2: yes, yes, yes we do
0: thanks for joining us thank
2: good luck you, this week it's Been a pleasure thank nice. you nice, nice thanks to meet you for letting you. me
1: thanks everyone
2: okay.
0: all thank right take all care right. Uh-huh. So bye long.